So I want to begin with a story that I, that I read, and I believe Charles Swindoll wrote this. And it goes, and the story begins like this. I, remo I remember stealing the softballs, stealing, stealing six softballs when I was working at it as a stock boy in a five and dime store in my early years in high school. And I remember trying to find a place to hide them when I got home. I didn't know what in the world I planned to do with six softballs. To this day, it just baffles me, the logic of it. But I stuck them in the back of my drawer and my mother found them. My father presented himself to me and told me that we were going to make a trick, trip back to the store where I was going to talk to the owner and I was going to confess. I will never forget his instruction on the way. I mean, I was sitting there just dying thinking about it. It was just like passing razor blades to think about standing in front of my employer. Well, I stood there and told him what I had done. My dad was waiting in, his, in the car. He didn't go in with me. Then I heard my boss say, you're fired. I stumbled back out um, to the car and sat down. I was as low as I could remember ever being. On the way, I remember my dad beginning to rebuild my emotions. I had done wrong, and I had learned an incredible lesson. He didn't overdo it, but he, did, but he drilled into me that when you steal, you get fired. And if you don't get fired at the moment, you something that can't be bought with any price, and that's your self-respect. I remember, too, we got on the subject of what, I would, what in the world I was going to do with those six softballs. But there was something about the, the ornament of grace that my neck from my father, who, before, before we went to the house, took time to put his arms around me and to understand. This teenage kid was most concerned about my father's not telling my friends. And as far as I know, he took that story to his grave and never told on me. What an amazing picture, again, of what... A father is you know and what he's done what he does is his responsibility so today as we celebrate Father's Day I just want to spend some time sharing a few things that were in my heart about um, today so again as many of you know today is Father's Day and if you don't know well now you know so from one father to another, for those of you who are dads that are here, really sincerely happy Father's Day. I personally know that the work of being a dad can be hard at times, and it all depends. The work is different depending on the stage of development. It's difficult raising toddlers, it's difficult raising young kids, it can be difficult raising young teens, it can be difficult raising teenagers, young adults, and you guys know what I'm talking about. There are challenges there as a father. But again, I believe that he wouldn't, God wouldn't have placed you in the position of a father if he didn't think you can personally handle it. Now, for those of you making an effort to lead, to guide, and to train your children, continue. Let me encourage you to continue to persevere when it gets hard. And rejoice in the Lord when they make you proud. 
Tell them, tell your children you're proud of them, but also rejoice in the Lord when they make you proud. In Genesis 18, 19, the Lord said this, For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. Now, for those fathers who feel lost in that role or feel as though you're failing or have miserably failed, again, I know the feeling. I know what that's like. And probably, you know, a year, a month doesn't go by where those thoughts don't creep in or creep into my mind. When that happens, when you start to feel that way, Look to your Father, look to your Heavenly Father as an example and continually, always continually seek Him out for wisdom because that's the way, that's the only way you'll be able to get through these stages of life that your kids are going through. And that's the only way you'll be able to get through being a father. Seek Him out, seek Him out for wisdom. He will show you. In the New Living Translation, James 1 and 5 says this, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Now, for those of you who are being weighed down by guilt, for not being the dad you should be or should have been, let me tell you, it's never too late for redemption. But that redemption can only begin by coming to the cross of Jesus Christ, asking Him to forgive you, asking Him to forgive you for the damage you caused, and then freely accepting or freely receiving the free gift of His forgiveness. Because you see, once you're reconciled to God, his spirit living in you will help show you how, how to seek reconciliation with those you've hurt. So to all of you dads living in guilt, here's what I'm saying. You can't do anything to change the past. But in Christ, there's always a possibility for new beginnings. Here's what the Lord said in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I am about to do something new. Even now it's coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. God will do a work. He will do if you seek him out, if you humble yourself. You just come to him and just seek his forgiveness. Seek, just ask him to, to soften your heart. He will change you. He will change your perspective. He will change your outlook. He will show you what you need to do to seek or get peace with, with those who you've hurt. Maybe to receive forgiveness for, from those who've hurt you. And I, again, I say this because I know that there's 
dads out there, maybe that are watching and listening and that don't have a relationship with their kids. And it weighs and it bogs them down. And now as a believer, you're, it's still one of those things that still you still wrestle with. But let me tell you, again, just come to God on your knees. Ask Him to heal you. Ask Him to show you what you need to do to reconciliation. Now, the other person may not want reconciliation or that reconciliation may not happen right away. But we have to remember that everything is the Lord's timing. And as long as you make take that first step, He's going to do something great in His timing and in His will. So again, to all the dads out there, embrace and cherish the role you've been given. Understand the responsibility entrusted to you and be thankful God chose you to be the father of your children. So right after you've been given the gifts, the cards, the hugs, the kisses, and after you've made your own phone calls to your own dads or to the men that have made an impact who you consider father figures, take a moment out of the day in just complete quietness, all alone, and just spend time with your Heavenly Father. And there, when you're in fellowship with Him, give Him the praise that He deserves and thank Him personally thank you with thank him with all your heart for his goodness his tenderness his patience his wisdom and his love that he's given you because if you think about it if you really think about it we're no different than our just sometimes we may not we may not be any different than our own disobedient children how many times have you blown it? How many times have you totally messed up and you, know, you just feel bad, you feel guilty, you feel convicted? But because of God's grace, because of God, God's goodness, He comes down and embraces you and says, Okay, son, you messed up. It's time to get up. Time to get up and keep going. Don't stay down. So take a moment to be with Him. Remember, you are where you are and you are who you are, not because of anything you did, but because of what He did for you. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 tells us He saved us. Speaking of Jesus, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit, poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we, that we will inherit eternal life. Well, that's one reason to celebrate today. If you're a dad, celebrate. Rejoice. 
Well, there's another reason this day is special, and Isaac lightly touched on it. But on Father's Day 2016, Fresh Vision Church officially opened its doors as a church. So yes, today is our third, our three-year anniversary. Uh, during these past three years, the Lord has been with us the entire way. I absolutely believe that. He's provided for all our needs. He's protected us from all the wolves out there that seek to damage or hurt us, to devour the sheep that are in here. And he has blessed us in remarkable ways. The fact that God has brought us this far is a confirmation of his faithfulness in keeping his promises and that this church is fulfilling his will and purpose. And I believe that as long as we continue to be faithful with the small things that he gives us and he tasks us with, we are showing him that we'll be ready for the larger ones. As you've heard me say in several occasions, Fresh Vision Church may not be the biggest or the most popular church in this city or even in this community, but I have no doubt that our love for one another, our desire to reach the lost, and our willingness to serve mean more to God, mean more to Him than numbers and popularity. He sees our heart, and that's what matters to him. So whether there's five people here or thousands, that as a pastor, as a leader of this church, that's what I want, just for everyone to have a deep, loving, a deep love for the Lord, deep love for other, a deep love for this community, because that's how revival begins, and, and that's how change begins, and he will use us in a mighty way. So I ask all of you that are here, or again that are listening, to continue to pray for us. Pray that more faithful servants will come and join us in the work God wants us to accomplish. Pray that the Lord will continue to protect us from anyone who wants to harm us, and that God will provide the spiritual and financial needs of this church. Pray that God will continue to give Isaac, Rob, and other, other leaders of this church the wisdom to help me lead this church, the wisdom to help me make the right decisions for the direction uh, this church should go. And pray for me. Pray that I'll be protected from the spiritual, physical, and mental attacks from the enemy. Because I tell you, he does it a lot on a daily basis he wants to bring me down he wants to see another pastor another leader fall from grace and the only reason he hasn't had victory over me is because I keep my eyes on Jesus and I know that many people are praying for me he is protecting me. And as long as I, I maintain that view, as long as I keep my eyes on him, 
I know that he will, he will help me when I'm at my weakest. He will give me the strength to persevere. Now, prior to planting this church, let me tell you, I spent maybe a couple years, months, yeah, a couple years on my knees in prayer. Among the many things I prayed for, I asked the Lord to show me what he wanted Fresh Vision Church, what he wanted this church to be about, what he wanted this church to do, and what he wanted this church to look like. And he answered by giving me the vision and mission statement that everyone can read on our website. Fresh Vision Church's vision statement, or what we're about, is this. Fresh Vision Church aspires to cultivate a community within this current generation that passionately desires to promote and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ through love and self-sacrificing service. So to put it simply, we're about showing the love of Jesus with our words and with our actions. This means that we're not about putting on a fancy performance to tell you about the love of God. We're about showing it with what we do and what we say. Whether it's to someone visiting us here, someone in need, or whether we're out serving the community, we're about showing it, not just saying it. As James points out in, in, in James chapter 2, verse 18, I will show you my faith by my works. So I strongly believe that the best way to accomplish this is by having a true and correct understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the more we understand it, the more you understand it, the more you'll fall in love with him. And the more you fall in love with him, the more his love will overflow to others. That love that's in you, it just pours out. And you'll start to just give it to others. And that, my friends, is a beautiful and glorious thing. When it's not your love, but it's his love working through you. So that's what FEC, or Fresh Vision Church, is all about. I now want to share with you the four goals, or what I've put up there is a mission statement of this church. Now, I'm not going to go through all the passages that these goals came from in God's Word. Again, I have them up there, and, I have, and you can look them up later. But I have them posted next to each statement. And these are the goals of this church. This is what I believe he wants us to do. Number one, proclaim God's redemptive plan for mankind to the community here in Northeast El Paso. And that could also mean El Paso in general. That can mean Texas. That can mean the United States. To proclaim God's redemptive plan by using the entire inerrant word of God in a clear an expository manner. And that's, again, my personal 
goal is to just make it clear, make it simple. I can't stand up here and get all theological and use fancy words and big words and, 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 and just boggle the mind, sound impressive. But I don't think that Je- that's how Jesus preached. He preached simply. He preached to, preached to simple, simple people that needed to hear it in their common tongue and in their language. And so that's what I aspire to do. Number two, lovingly engage all people, all people, regardless of where they are in, they are in their life, where they, what they believe, what they look like, the lifestyles they have, with grace, truth, and mercy, as it was exemplified by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loved everybody. He died for everybody. And he cares. He's up there right now wanting everybody to come to the knowledge of him. Number three, equip the believers with biblical truths in order for them to grow and mature in their faith. One of the, my responsibilities here as the leader, pastor, teacher of this church is to help you grow as a Christian. To help you in your maturity. Now, that role, I, I can't do it all. You have, there's a, you have a certain responsibility to, to go home and study the Bible and, and maybe seek out other teachers, maybe take classes, you know, just to study His Word. But I know and I believe and I promise you that as long as I'm up here, I will continue to share biblical truths. I will continue to teach from God's word so that you will know it, so you will understand it, so that you'll fall in love with it, so that you'll obey it. And so you'll be blessed by it. Because ultimately... to remain infants we should all want to grow as believers we don't want I don't think anybody here wants to stay a baby Christian only drinking milk I think eventually you want to get into just that meat the meat and potatoes and just dive deep into it to grow and mature number four Encourage and assist in the development of potential leaders to go out and multiply using their specific God-given spiritual gifts. God has given each and every single one of you a beautiful and wonderful gift. And as much as we can use it here, and although I think that, and I believe that he will use it here, I know and I believe that he wants to also use it to go out and reach other people. I don't want to be the kind of church that just hoards these gifts. I want to help you to develop, to develop them. I want to encourage you to go out and use them. So again, that you'll go, so, so that you'll, when you go out, 
you'll be able to reach more people. You'll be able to bring, build the kingdom of God and bring more people to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So in a nutshell, the goal of Fresh Vision Church is to proclaim, love, equip, and encourage. So until God says otherwise, this is who we are. And this is what we're going to do as a church. For those of you that have visited, have visited, have visited, we are praying for you. And our doors will always be open to you. For those of you who have supported us, we sincerely thank you and humbly ask you for your continued support. For those of you who have been or are now a part of this ministry, your presence, whether you know it or not, is a great encouragement to us. And I hope that we've been an encouragement for you. And if there are issues, problems, concerns, complaints, you can speak to me personally about it. There's a Dropbox or uh, we have a information card back there where you can just write your comments and we'll pray about it we'll 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 consider it but we're here for you we want to encourage you again we want to build you up and as i finish off here i in this with what i want to say about this church what what he's done i'm looking forward i really am looking forward to see what god has in store for us this upcoming year I mean, I didn't know last, last year that we were going to be here in this building. I've been praying. I was praying about a new location, but I had no idea he would bring us here, that all these new faces would be here, and that we just would be, I didn't know we were going to be as blessed as, as we have been. So again, I'm looking forward to seeing what's in store for us this upcoming year, and I pray that all of you will be here to see his blessings unfold. That is, unless he doesn't take us home before then. And I think when he does, when we're all together up in heaven, it's just going to be glorious. It's going to be a glorious thing. So now that I've given all the dads a shout out, and I've shared with you that this is our third year anniversary, I want to I want to spend the remainder of our time now in God's Word, because this is, again, what we're all about. So, today, we're going to be finishing off chapter 1, and this is going to be a short chat, or the, these last few verses are short, not going to be long, so I'm going to look, be watchful of the time. If it seems like it's going to be too long, I'll continue it next week, but that's my goal, just to finish chapter 1 this morning and we'll be looking at another here what we're going to be looking at is another event that caused an elderly couple to rejoice and celebrate we're going to see how the birth of their son John the Baptist affected the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah the controversy it created and the ex- and examine the first words of a changed and humbled father. So again, 
Today's message, I've titled this message, today's message, A Day of Joy and Celebration. Because today it is. And you'll see why this particular day for Zechariah was a day of joy and celebration. So if you have your Bibles open, um, we left off in Luke chapter 1, verse 45. No, sorry. Verse 56 last week. And so this morning we pick up in verse 57. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. The word of God says, Now the time had come had come for Elizabeth to give birth. And she had son, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and, re- and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name Zechariah after his father. But the mother responded, No. He will be called John. Then they said to her, None of your relatives has that name. So they, mo- so they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them, and all, those, all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it, saying, Which will this, will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. When we last saw this couple together, we read that because of his unbelief, the angel Gabriel, or more so the Lord, used Gabriel and struck Zechariah with muteness. And when his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, she went into seclusion, into her home for five months. Yet, she rejoiced greatly. She rejoiced within herself that the Lord had seen fit to free her from the reproach of being childless. Here now, were told what happened when their baby was born. To begin with, verses 57 and 58, and the beginning of 59 show us three things. One, that at the proper time, God fulfilled his promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Two, Elizabeth's family and friends recognized that the birth of her baby was a display of, of great mercy from the Lord. And the joy she felt, the joy that was in her, was contagious. It was infectious. And three, they obediently followed the law, that the law from Leviticus 20, uh, chapter 12, verse 3, that said that every child that is born after the eighth day, they were to be presented for circumcision. Now, in that ceremony, in that circumcision ceremony, I'm not going to get into the details. If you don't know what circumcision is, I think most of you know, you know but if you don't, look up the word. <laughs> um, but in that ceremony, 
it became customary to officially name the baby. And it was automatically assumed that the firstborn son would be named after his father. So this is why we're told that they were going to name him Zechariah. However, before it was made official, Elizabeth courageously spoke up. She's like, no, that's, that ain't going to happen. That's not, no. She spoke up loudly and said, no, he will be called John. This shocked and surprised everyone for a few reasons. A woman spoke up. That wasn't done. That was strange. That didn't happen. And secondly, no one in their family tree had that name. Again, one of the typical things that would happen if you're not going to name the kid after the father is that someone, you're going to name him after somebody in the family. But there was no one in that family tree that had that name with the name of John. So although we're never told how, it's likely Elizabeth had learned from Zechariah probably from him writing it down, that he wished for them to name the baby John. But nevertheless, just to be sure, they went to dad. They went to Zechariah and let him make the final decision. Still unable to speak, he asked for a writing tablet and verified that, yes, his name is John. At that moment, astonishment filled the room. What? Whoa, what? Is this for reals? You see, by now, Zechariah had learned his lesson. Don't ask why. Don't ask how. Just obey God and do it. And maybe this is something God is trying to tell some of you today. Maybe this is something that God is trying to tell you right now. He's trying to tell you the same thing. If he is, learn from Zechariah's mistake. Stop asking questions. Stop being wishy-washy about it and just get it done. It says in James 1 chapter, um, chapter 1 verse 22, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Let me repeat that. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Now their astonishment turned into awe. It shifted and it turned into awe when they saw Zachariah's mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Now, in a minute, we'll read what he said. But it was fitting that Zechariah's first words, after not speaking for many, many months, was a praise to God. You see, his punishment for disobeying didn't make him bitter. He wasn't angry. He wasn't upset. Because if he were... Do you think that the first words out of his mouth would be praise? When you're disciplined by your parents. 
they know that it's for your own good. Maybe you don't, but the first words, once your punishment is over, hey, praise you, Dad. Awesome. Good job. No, it's not. But here, for Zechariah, this punishment didn't make him bitter. Instead, it made him want to trust God all the more at every opportunity. Church, men, women, teenagers that are here, don't be surprised when God punish you, punishes you for your disobedience. Sometimes he will take what means most to you. Sometimes he will allow you to feel the severe pain of your reckless behavior. Sometimes he will seem far to remind you of what it's like to be without him. And it will hurt. It will be painful. And it will suck. But regardless of how he dishes it out, how he dishes out that punishment, take it. Learn from it. And don't allow God's discipline to embitter you. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as the Father disciplines the Son in whom he delights. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, we're told, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You may not know that that discipline is good for you right now, but in the long run, again, whether it's 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you'll see why that discipline is good for you. And let me also just add that if you know you have a good father and that he loves you and he cares for you, everything he does, even when he punishes you, there's a reason behind it. You may not understand it. You may not get it. You may be angry with him. You may be upset. You may think it's unfair. But young men, young women, understand this, that it's for your own good. It's for because they love you and care for you. And they've been through it before. And they don't want to see you make the same mistakes they made and you will see you may not see it now you may not understand it now but later on you will and I hope that when it clicks you'll be able to go to them and say you know what thank you thank you for smacking my hand when I was about to touch that hot oven thank you for pulling me away when I was about to run into that freeway I'm just, those are metaphorically, I'm using that as metaphorical examples, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And one day, you're going to be parents, and one day, you're not going to be sure how to handle a certain situation. Your parents will always be there to help you. But again, learn from them. Learn from them, and and. Just don't be so angry. Sometimes we'll make mistakes. 
we're not perfect. Sometimes we'll not, we're not going to handle a situation the right way. But we're learning. And by the grace of God, he will, you know, we come to him and ask him for forgiveness and, and, and ask him to help us and to show us a better way. And in those times, you also have to show some grace to your parents. Because it can be easy to point the finger and say, hey, you messed up, you're wrong. That's, first of all, that's disrespectful, but also you need to honor your parents. You need to honor your mother and father. So again, see the point of his discipline is to humble you. The point of God's discipline is to humble you. Seek his forgiveness to build you up and to make you more dependent on him. Now, if you're able to understand that, the moment that he does restore you, the moment he says, you know what? Sit before me, sit on my lap. Let me embrace you. Let me hug you. Let me show you. Let me just give you my full, full portion of my love. When he does restore you, your reaction will look similar to that of Zechariah's. Well, this particular passage ends by what, telling, what, what happens afterwards. The news about what happened traveled quickly through the hill country of Judea. As they talked, they also questioned but it was undeniable, and the evidence was clear. In this child, the barren and the silent, God was at work. So if God could show his hand so strongly in his birth, what would he do when the child matured? What was God getting ready to do among them? Well, those questions will be answered as we continue to go through this book, especially as we go through the next few chapters. But here's what I want you to take from, just from these last few verses from this passage. When God works in a powerful way, it won't be contained. It can't be contained. And it won't be silenced. For instance, think of a time, think of that time when you truly surrender your life to Christ. How long did it take for others to find out about it and for the questions to begin? How long before people thought you thought were your friends began to avoid you, no longer invited you to the parties, no longer invited you to the cookouts, no longer invited you to the, to the baby showers? And when they stopped returning your calls, I'm speaking from personal experience. This is what happened to me when I surrendered, when I rededicated my life to the Lord. But by that time, I was okay. I was okay with that. I didn't need them. All I needed was the Lord. All I needed was His love. And that's what I completely surrounded myself. That's what I immersed myself in. In his love. But again, my, uh, going back to my question, how long did it take? How long did it take before that happened? If your conversion was genuine and powerful, I bet that it didn't take long. 
I bet that it was quick. Know this. Unless he purposely contains it, unless there's a reason behind it, nothing, nothing at all will be able to stop what God has said and what God has done. What God opens, no one can shut. People will find out about it and will either be drawn to it, question it, or just completely avoid it. And we see this in story after story in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Church history proves it. And our own lives testify to that fact. His power, His word, His glory is like a mighty fire. It's like a you know, like those embers in a fire. I've heard stories that in a forest fire, all it takes is an ember and it can fly like miles away and it can catch another section of the forest on fire. That's how quickly, that's how powerful God's work is. That's how powerful God's word is. It won't, it can't be stopped. It can't be stopped at all. And try to tell us to be quiet about it. You can try to be silent about it, but it will be known. It will, your life will just show it. It will just reveal itself. People may not say, hey, you're a Christian now, huh? But they will see that something's different about you. Romans 1.20 says this, for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So whether it's the world, the universe, people know. People know that a God created that. People will know that someone powerful has transformed your life. And they will be without excuse. They will know that it's God. So again, let the world know. Let the world know what he's done in your life. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to deny it. When you're asked or when you're confronted, answer truthfully, unashamedly, and always give God the glory. Listen to what it says in in Psalm uh, Psalm 40, verse 10. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. But with the last few minutes I have in this final section of this chapter, Luke tells us what Zechariah's first words were when God restored his speech. So let's go there real quickly if you have Bible still open. And, and if you don't, it's okay. I'll, you know, just, you can hear what God's word says. But I'll be in verse, chapter 1, verse 67 of Luke. Then, the father, then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, 
because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. For God's merciful compassion, the dawn the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow and the shadow of death to guide our feet from the way into the way of peace. And finally, in verse 80, it says the child grew up and became spiritually strong. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Free now from the fetters of unbelief and filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah was inspired to, to utter an eloquent hymn of praise, rich in quotations from the Old Testament. His song of praise reflects so much of Mary's song, the song we covered last week. Like hers, his song was more than human singing. It was more than just singing in a shower, singing that song you like. It was, divine, it was a divine prophecy, declaring what the coming of Jesus Christ to earth really means. In verse 69, Zechariah tells us that the focus of this prophecy, tells us the focus of his prophecy. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This, of course, is the unborn Jesus, not his son, John. Now also consider these other verses. In verse, again, verse 71, Jesus is the one who saves us from our enemies. Verse 72, Jesus is the one who performs the mercy promised to our fathers. Again in verse 72, Jesus is the one to remember the covenant. And in verse 74, Jesus was able to serve him without fear. See, Zacharias, Zacharias didn't even know Jesus yet, but he praised him. He loved him. And he was passionate about Jesus. For those of us, I mean, those of us right now, we know now so much more about Jesus. We have the Gospels. We have the writings of Paul. We have the writings of the apostles. We have the Holy Scriptures that tell us a lot more about Jesus than Zacharias knew, or than Zacharias did. So here's my question. What's your excuse for the coldness of your own heart? What is the reason why, if you know about Jesus, why is your heart cold? Have you allowed God to melt it, to, to, 
just move your heart, shape, like to mold it and shape it. Now after the initial focus on Jesus, the Holy Spirit then lets Zechariah speak of his newborn son and his place in God's great plan. In verse 76, it says that John, well, we understand that John was the true prophet, the prophet of the highest. In verse 76 also, John had a unique calling to go before the face of the Lord and to prepare his ways, to prepare his ways. Verse 77, John would teach and give knowledge of salvation to God's people. Also in verse 77, John will sh- would show people the remission of their sins. Verse 79, John would give light, would give light to those who sit in darkness. And also in verse 79, John would guide God's people into the way of peace. And again, chapter 1 then closes with a simple statement of how the child grew physically and spiritually in the wilderness. And, this is, and if you don't know what we're talking about, it's the desert. It's like being out there in the mountains here right across the freeway. In the desert until the day of his public appearance. To Israel. Just as God prepared Israel in the wilderness before giving them the salvation of the promised land, so he prepared his forerunner in the wilderness before the Messiah's salvation. And as we'll see in the next chapter, there were people like Simeon and Anna who were waiting for his arrival. They had been waiting for his arrival for many years. And soon, very soon it would come. This indeed was a special Father's Day for Zechariah. But not, because not only did he get to see his son, to hold his son that he had prayed for, for years, for many years, for all entire, his entire life, God also restored his speech, and he was able to sing a beautiful song of praise to his Heavenly Father. As I conclude, I hope it's clear to you now why I titled this morning's message a day of joy and celebration. First of all, if you're a dad and see the blessings of fatherhood, Father's Day is a day of joy and celebration. Secondly, as a church, today is a day of joy and celebration celebration because we celebrate three years of being a church, of the Lord opening the doors or this church opening its doors to the public. And thirdly, just as we read, as we just read, the birth of John the Baptist was a day of joy and celebration for Zechariah. If you've never opened the door to your heart and surrender it to Jesus today, today, right now, you can, can also be a day of joy and celebration for you. Jesus said in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Do you get that? Do you see the meaning behind that? When you repent and are born again, angels are partying in heaven for you. They're up there celebrating. So what must you do to be born again? Humble yourselves. 
realize, know that you're a sinner and that you've blown it. Ask for his forgiveness. Come to the cross. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge the Lord. And just give and surrender your sins to him. And then by faith again, just receive his forgiveness. Allow him to to fill you, to change you, to make you new. And just again, thank him for all that he's done. And if that's you, and you're ready to do that, and you've, you want to have, you want this day to be a day of true joy and celebration, and you want to be born again, let me just, wherever you're at, close your eyes and bow your heads. And in the quietness of your heart, in, in, in all sincerity, come to God and just pray this, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, I've blown it, I've messed up. I admit that I'm a sinner. And that I was destined for eternal punishment. But I see and I understand now that you sent your son to die for me. That he bled, shed his blood on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I confess with my mouth he is Lord. I believe with my heart that he is your son. Lift the weight of all my sins off of me. Wash me new. Cleanse me. Lord, I accept, I receive your forgiveness. Fill my heart with your spirit change me. Take all the junk out that doesn't belong there. Surround me with your love. Surround me with the people that will help me to seek you out to, that will help build me up in the relationship with you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for Jesus. I love you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.